Hello, I'm Karis. And I'm Rachel. And together we are the Therapy Sisters podcast, where we invite you to come home to yourself. We are therapists, sisters, and works in progress. Do you have a success story of overcoming something challenging in your life? We want to hear from you. Please email your story to thetherapysisters at gmail.com to be included in our regular installment of Own Your Story. We want to encourage fellow female journeyers with stories of success and growth. We want to note that although we are clinical therapists, this podcast is not a replacement for individual therapy and we are not here to give clinical advice. Please see our show notes for recommendations of therapists in your area. Hi, I'm Karis. And I'm Rachel. Welcome to our podcast. So in our last few episodes, we've talked a lot about what makes you who you are, particularly as a woman. Our podcast is mostly pointed towards women or people who want to know about women, including the will of identity. Um, There are many parts of the makings of all the wonderful things that makes you, you and us, us, um, and that makes a woman a woman. So our purposes here today are to break down these things into four main areas. So those are um, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational. Last time we talked about the emotional side of being a woman, how to listen to your emotional needs, nurturing and caring for your needs, and validating the fact that you actually have emotional needs. Who knew? Right, because you're a person, not a robot. You're a person. You're a human. Yep. So today we're going to move into talking about spiritual. And as always, we give our kind of personal story and perspective before we give our uh, more professional insights. So Karis, would you like to, to get us get us going? Yeah, I would like to do that. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, yeah, so I'm Rachel, so glad you said yes. <laughs> so as, as Rachel mentioned, you know, looking at the four aspects of kind of your personhood, um, and obviously there are more than four, but these are four areas that we have found when we can focus on balancing things and meet the needs of these areas that people feel pretty pretty balanced, pretty taken care of overall. Yep. Like the spiritual part of a person is a huge, huge, huge topic. So we will do our best (laughs) to not, uh, you know, not get too crazy here. But, um, as far as our personal story for me and Rachel, it's actually pretty similar because as you may or may not be aware, we are sisters. So we grew up. We are same parents, same parents, same household. We are two. (laughs) Same everything. Same sisters. (laughs) Yeah. We even even share another sister. We do. We have that in common. Same pets. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my background is kind of reflected in Rachel's background. Um, But Mm -hmm. we grew up the daughters of a pastor and so, and a teacher. So our father was a pastor and our mother was a teacher. And, you know, I think, I think that was incredibly shaping obviously for who we are. So our, like, not only, um, was our dad a pastor, but we had this long family lineage within the denomination, uh, that he pastored and was a part of, and that is the free Methodist denomination. And I don't know, it's a little itty bitty one. So some people have heard of it. Some haven't. Um, if you have been in the church world, it's very similar and like beliefs and practices to like the Nazarene or the Wesleyan church. So, um, that's what we grew up with. That's what we knew. Um, and in a lot of ways that was just, that was wonderful because it, it provide, it provided a, a, a community, a family, um, not only our immediate family, but our larger church family that just became very much a part of who we were as people, very defining for who we were. And I mentioned that family lineage. So like my dad was not the only pastor in our family. And so that was kind of like a badge of honor that 
I think he wore and we wore by default. Um, Mm -hmm. it was, we were highly respectful of that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, it became something to kind of, um, work towards or strive for, um, as far as like being involved in the church world, maybe even being in leadership in the church world. So that was my experience. And I think, you know, I, I wanted to mention this again, Rachel, that like when people found out that dad was a pastor as a kid, I would either get put into one of two stereotypes. Oh, so you must be a total rebel or, oh, so you're Mm -hmm. a total goody two shoes, which doesn't Mm -hmm. love being judged like having a, a snap opinion made about them off the bat when you don't know me or you, you don't know anything. Yeah. Um, so that was always fun. So it was always my goal to debunk both of those and be like, Nope, I don't fit into either of those boxes. So I think, but like by most standards, I, I, as well as you was a good kid. Like I made good choices. Yep. I, yep. you know, I worked hard at school. I tried to, you know, fit the mold that was kind of made for me within kind of within our family and our larger church community. And so, um, so I was a good kid, but I was also the kid who like, I would hang out with the people who made what our, you know, our church would probably call unsavory decisions, you know? And that was kind of, I, I, I was comfortable there, even though I didn't partake in some of the things, like I wasn't like a party kid. I didn't mind being around people who did. And so for me, it was like, I, I felt like as far as my identity, I had to kind of figure out where I was on that spectrum between like the goody two shoes piece and the rebel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, that, that was, you know, looking back, that was something I don't know that I was consciously aware of, but I was very determined not to be grouped into either of those categories. Even so the church experience, the youth group experience w- were so profound for me that I decided that I wanted to be. I wanted to be in ministry, but for me, it was going to look different. I wanted to major in social work. I wanted to counsel. I actually had this whole vision in high school about (laughs) moving to the inner city and, you know, starting some great nonprofit that was helpful to people. Um, But in any case, I went to college and I went to a Christian college that followed that same path, you know, so that was very much a part of my identity, very much like where my, like, where, where I was rooted. Um, but I saw even in college and I'm sure you did too, Rachel, that, that, that perspective was a a little bit narrow. Right. And so Mm -hmm. for that reason, Mm -hmm. I made the decision to pursue my master's. You know, I wanted to make sure I went to like a a state school that would give me a different perspective and expose me to things that my very traditional bubbled Christian education did not. In any case, I got married out of college and we, my husband and I decided to go into ministry. So he decided he wanted to be a pastor and, you know, that was an interesting journey in and of itself from the very beginning. But a couple years into that, he had the opportunity to take, um, lead pastor, a lead pastor position in a church in Kansas city area. So we moved out there and, it was initially a really great experience. We were very young um, and very, I was very idealistic. <laughs> um, I had kind of an idea of like what that would look like and how that would go. Sure. And so for me, my, my involvement in the church, and this has always been something for me where I've like, 
I've had to kind of wrestle with and come to a place of peace with is like, okay, what's my purpose? What do I need to be doing? And that was very much a part of like my spiritual experience. Like as a spiritual person, as a religious person, there is a specific purpose for me, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm on this quest to find it. And if I don't find it, I'm not doing my job right. So that was very much like almost kind of like a, an ongoing low level crisis Mm -hmm. for me and my identity. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be involved in like the church and I wanted the church to be involved in the larger community. And so, you know, I tried to spearhead some efforts there, did not get a lot of enthusiasm or cooperation. So that was a little disheartening there because I thought, well, isn't the church supposed to be like the hands and the feet? Aren't we supposed to serve? Aren't we supposed to, you know, aren't we supposed to be a presence and not just like a Sunday morning gathering? Right. So I had Mm -hmm. that going on and somewhere in the course of that, things started to kind of go sideways at the church as far as like the church was concerned and my husband was concerned. Um, and ultimately, it ended up kind of blowing up in a really disastrous way, like to the point where we had to like we had to move away, we had to leave. But also juxtaposed alongside of that, I was working as a social worker, and I was splitting my time between an inner city uh, ER, and I would work there on the weekends overnight. So all kinds of all kinds of things coming through the ER door that were not medical emergencies that I would have to kind of run point on. And then um, also in the psych unit, so inpatient psychiatric unit. So a lot of pervasive mental illness, suicide attempts, psychosis, um, those kinds of things that I, I worked with. Like severe mental illness. Severe. Severe mental severe. illness, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's where I first, that alongside of what was happening in this church that I felt like we were meant to be at, uh, were the first the first kinds of, of questions that started to come to mind about, like, I don't know about this. So, like, these, these people who are so sick and who many of them are people of faith and aren't getting relief, aren't getting help, like, what does that mean for kind of my, my worldview and how I, how I'm kind of understanding myself and God and other people. And then we thought we were supposed to come to this church and we thought like this was, this was where we were supposed to be. And now it's kind of all blowing up. And so all of that was happening at once. And when we made the decision to move back here, it was very sudden. Um, my husband had a job opportunity that was not at all associated with, with a church or ministry. And we had a six month old and a two year old. And I think it was such a whirlwind. And I was just like in this place where I was like, whatever you need to my husband, like if if this isn't right anymore, or if this isn't working for you, or we can't be healthy in this space, whatever you need, let's do it. And I didn't think to question that or or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we came back to Michigan and I found myself in this total crisis of really an identity crisis. So this place that had been my home, this, this community that had been my family, I felt had turned its back on me. I felt disconnected from our family of origin because like, we essentially left the family business at that point. And I felt like God had abandoned me. And so I was in this very lonely, questioning, scary place that I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about because it just wasn't cool yet to deconstruct your faith. (laughs) You know what? Now it is. But back then, it wasn't cool to deconstruct your faith. It was scary. You were going to go to hell. People were worried about your eternity and you couldn't 
at least the way that I felt, I couldn't ask those questions. And so yeah. it was an incredibly lonely and difficult time for me. And I had to figure out how to find my way back because how that manifested for me amid all my, I, we talked before about all my, my, my lost sleep and inability to get rest because of my baby who was up all the time. You know, that in, this, in the midst of this identity crisis was creating this sense of irritability for me that I just could not shake. It was just always there under the surface and it would come out as like, you know, just kind of being really short. And, you know, I think, you know, my husband would say I was, I was chirpy and that sort of thing. And I just didn't like that because that wasn't really consistent with how I knew myself to be. So my way of kind of finding my way back to some sort of, cause for a while it just became like, I don't know what I believe anymore. And I don't know what to do with that. And again, that like pressure of, I have to figure this out because if I don't figure this out, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to live my life. I don't know what to teach my children. And it was very, that was a very scary place to be. Like my, it was like the entire floor had been taken out from underneath me. So somewhere along the way, I, you know, I think probably in the clinical space, I started hearing and reading a lot about like meditation and mindfulness and how it was just a way to kind of connect to yourself and how it was helpful in alleviating irritability and anxiety and all those kinds of things that I was struggling with at the time. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to give this a, a shot. And just in case like people aren't super familiar with mindfulness and meditation, it's, it's, it's kind of a, they're kind of buzzwords right now. Um, <laughs> but how, how that worked for me is it became a practice of presence. So I got very gung ho about it. And <laughs> initially I read some books and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this three times a day, which is more than anyone should probably like, that's really probably a setup for failure, but somehow I stuck with it. <laughs> so unless you're a monk, I mean, monk, I mean, unless you're a monk and that's your way of life, right? Right. <laughs> that's yes, what that's you do not, several times a day. That's, yeah. That's not, that's not feasible yeah. for most people. So that's not by any means an expectation or a standard. Um, but I was just so tired of feeling the way that I felt. So sure. I wanted to be really of course, aggressive with it. And so I did that for, I committed, I'm going to like, I'm like, I'm going to give this four to six weeks and just see, because that was from what I read, that was how long it took for like your brain to get conditioned in a way that it could be more present because it's just exactly like working your body. You know, you, when you start out with a new workout routine, you have to build up, you have to condition your body, get it used to things so that it can handle more things. Same thing with your brain. Right. You have to condition it to come back to the present so it can get used to being present. That becomes the new default. So it's getting your brain in shape. So I did that. I did that. And um, I started to notice kind of nuanced changes in the way that I was feeling, but the real, the real proof was in the pudding that when, um, I had one night we were in, uh, South Haven, Michigan, which is a lovely little beach town. And you reminded me, Rachel, that you were there <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, my children were very little still probably, I don't know, either one and three or two and probably two and four and would not go to bed. And I, you know, moms of young children, I think will probably understand this, but I, I, when my children were supposed to go to bed, that was my time, right? Yep. That was my time to finally be alone, be an adult, whatever. And they were taking that away from me that night as they had on many occasions. And my default for that was to feel extreme frustration, extreme FOMO as I was up dealing with them and everybody else mm -hmm. was you know, hanging out or whatever. But that particular night I noticed I put on some music and it was the same music that I happened to be meditating to. And I just laid with my babies and we just 
they were crying, they were upset, and I just held them. And I had this complete sense of presence and peace. And there was nowhere else I wanted to be in that moment. And for me, that was like, oh my gosh, like something is shifting within me. Life changing. And since then, it's been a journey. It's been a process. I would say there's there are some things that I don't have figured out that I don't know if I ever will have figured out. But I've come to learn that it is, you know, life, spirituality, like everything else, is a journey and not a destination. So this pressure that I felt for so long to have it all figured out, to know exactly what my purpose was, I feel free of that because I feel more like it's it's about continuing to grow and evolve and learn and develop. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the path I'm on. Now I would say like some of my ideas now look different than what I came up with. And, you know, some of the things that I've had to let go of have been really liberating for me. And I've had to reframe kind of my idea of God and faith and all of that. And spirituality for me is way more inclusive than it used to be um, and involves things that it didn't used to involve. So um, that's a little bit about my journey, a little bit about kind of what's got me to where I am. And um, I would love to hear your story, Rachel. Yeah, I was going to say too, at the end of what you just said, like just that shift of um, when you are a little bit more inclusive and open and you view it as a journey instead of like this destination you have to arrive at, which is kind of how we were raised. Um, yeah. Like what a weight that takes off to be like in, like everything else to be in yeah. process. Because if you think about it, like if there's a destination, which you really never really arrive, right? Nobody ever really arrives. Even right. if you believe faith is black and white, you're, you should you should hopefully always be growing or in process in some way, right? So right. even that pressure, it was never enough. Like I never was growing enough. I never was doing enough. I never right. was reading that enough. Sh- like it was never enough. Shame narrative. Yeah, a shame, shame narrative. And so getting to a place of like, okay, this is a journey. I'm in a place of discovery and that's a really good place to be. So, but very similar to Karis, clearly. My dad was also a pastor and... um. I have two sisters. One of them is sitting in front of me. Um, but same thing. I, like I was very much the good girl. Like it's so interesting looking back and even, even now, like my daughter is eight and I, I think I was a little sassy, but I learned pretty quick not to be, but I was not, I mean, I was such a good kid too. I wasn't a partier. I mean, I was hanging out with my good friends in their basements on Fridays. My parents knew where I was, you know, or I was home with mom baking. Right. Like <laughs> I was such a good kid. So, um, I think what what was hard for me though is I very much had it drilled in my head that I needed to be the good girl and I needed to please and do the right thing. And it was also drilled in my head um, as a teenager in youth group that um, the responsibility of my friend's souls was on me, like the pressure to save them. So I carried this about the responsibility to bear as a right. child, right? Um, but I carried that to a really high. Uh, probably unhealthy responsibility because, you know, I was a child and had no boundaries and I'm a two on the Enneagram and feel all things in great, great measure. So same as Karis, I went to the same college as her. I did all the right things. I dated the good Christian boy. Then the relationship failed. Then I was one of the only people in my friend group and also in our family to not graduate and get married right away or get married in college. So I I felt like there was, instead of viewing it as, um, wow, this is really liberating. I'm getting my own place and I'm getting my own job and I'm independent. I very much had the narrative that there was something wrong with me. I didn't get a husband in college and that's what I was supposed to do as a good Christian girl. And it's interesting because these aren't things our parents said to us. Like they didn't say, do this or else, you know, but 
I think part of it is what I learned from youth group and it was more about the culture, the mm -hmm, culture, like my role, like in. my role was to be yeah. a wife. Yeah. My role yeah. is to be a wife. Um, and also like this, this message that like, if, so speaking of your purpose, like if you aren't yeah. a wife, this is why you felt this way. If you aren't a wife, yeah. especially by a wife, a wife by a certain age, you're not really fulfilling your purpose here on this planet. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Which my kids, I'm like, wait till you're 30. Know yourself. Like, know yourself, right? I'm like, I'm telling <laughs> Who knows themselves? I'm married at like 29 now. So like, actually, yeah. 32 is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, but I think fast forward, um, you know, I met my husband, we date, we get married, we get super involved in a church. And again, um, part of my connection with him was that he wanted to be a worship pastor, which is kind of staying in line with how we grew up and kind of what I thought was, I mean, really the right thing to do, like the good thing to do. Right. And so we get involved in right. this church. It was a really small church. So with that came a lot of, um, pain like judgment and difficulty it was never a place where I felt at home like I always felt like I had to perform like I remember I remember one time he played a hymn on, a, on his guitar and they started a petition to have him never play that song again on a guitar because he ruined the beauty of the hymn and I'm like you're 62 yes. years old why don't you just if you have a problem with it a it's your problem b why don't you come talk to him about it he would have yeah. heard from you so just like things like that that felt really toxic and we were right. young we were probably like 24 so really like in yeah. a really kind of vulnerable place where he could have been shaped. Just babies. Yeah, could have been shaped and instead felt really wounded. So kind of through that process, he went through a crisis of faith um, where he decided to step down from his position because he just felt like he wasn't sure where he stood and didn't feel that he could lead with integrity because he just, he couldn't stand up there and say the things or sing the songs anymore. And so for me, that was a huge crisis of yeah. faith. And going back, you know, if our whole, if our her root is, rooted of who we are is on that then like I don't know what our marriage meant I didn't know if we were going to stay married yeah. Yeah. I didn't know like if we had the same values like would we have kids like just so many questions right and um and I felt the same things you were describing like I did all the right things I married the good Christian boy and then the Christ good Christian boy walked away from God and what did I do like why did I deserve this like this isn't supposed to happen to me so I felt there's heavy, heavy grief and a, a lot of abandonment. Um, and even though it wasn't technically quote my fault, right. Um, I still had that kind of like, what will people think about us, mm -hmm. you know, or how will a they feel about us knowing that? Judgment. Oh, and so much shame, which is just my current self thinks that's just so sad, right. That that's where my mind was. But, yeah. um, so anyway, I can, for a long time, I continued in my same type of belief, but then I also continued in my career and then I became a mom and I had a lot of guilt around um, just not doing enough of my faith, right? Because I didn't have time. I was working full time. Right. At that point, um, I had started our company, um, you know, and I was trying to do all the things. And I just, I had such guilt that I wasn't serving enough or doing enough or helping enough people. I don't even think I could place it. It was just a feeling of guilt. Um, and then because I think coming out of that shame narrative, like, yeah. There's just never and enough like, that you can do to be okay. Yeah. And like, that's very much how we grew up. Like our parents' whole world was around church. Right. You know? That's and so like, there was no, yeah, there was no, um, like our family, we have really good friends. And so we have a lot of connection. We spend time with our friends or have our friends and their kids over and they play with our kids and all that. That wasn't necessarily the same type of connection we had growing up. So, um, and then I just started <laughs> noticing, um, my client's stories mm, and yeah. it started to shift a little bit in me because 
you know, I was getting, um, at that point, you know, adolescents whose parents were pro-life because they were very religious until their child got pregnant and then she had three abortions and never wanted them. Or, or you know, like the client who was unfaithful and when we really dig into the reality of why there's a whole history of trauma or woundedness or whatever. And so it started to cause a little bit of disruption in me. Like how do I align these things? Like they're not so black and white, you know? And um, yeah, and there's a lot I could say about that because I think there was a lot of um, kind of construct around like evil and that sort of thing too. And I was meeting these beautiful people who weren't evil. So it was just hard to understand and, right. and kind of resolve that within myself. Um and then, you know, I had um, a Muslim client once and I, we connected on such a deep spiritual level. And even that, like I questioned, like, is that okay? Because I know what I'm feeling and experiencing in my sessions with her. And I know, yeah. like we talk about spirituality and connection. So there were just all these shifts that kind of came along the way. And so um, I, I think in a way... Um, I have said to my husband now that I'm so appreciative of his journey. Like he's still journeying. He's not the same place he was. I'm not the same place I was, but I think in a sense his, um, cause he was black and white too about this when we got married, but his openness to curiosity and exploring truth, which is ultimately what he was trying to do, um, kind of gave me permission to explore that myself and kind of figure out what I believe and if these things work for me and even listen to, Hey, this doesn't sit right with me or, like I have a lot of empathy and compassion for the choice this person made, you know, there's just a lot that shifted. So, um, so then I just started to wonder like, is the concept of God so much bigger than I thought? And, um, is my belief wider than what I was told? And I think too, I mean, we grew up in a very small town, so there was just no diversity either. It was all middle-class, mostly white families. Um, so it wasn't like, and you didn't see, you didn't see anything outside of our social norms. And so I think to then um, engage in that in a different way just brought up a lot of questions and curiosity. So as I got older, I also started meditating. Um, I still meditate. Um, And I started implementing contemplative prayer because for a while mm, I was definitely in like a cynical hurt wounded place. I mean, I would say a good few years and mine didn't happen until, I mean, years after my husband's like, I was really like firm until, and I was thinking about, I don't even know what shifted it fully, um, but it did. And so I, I really just, there was a lot I couldn't do for a while. And so, but I still believed there was something. I was just trying to reconcile all these things. And so I, I ended up getting into meditation, which then opened me up to the possibility of contemplation. And so I started um, doing contemplative prayer which is where you, you know, you pick a word and you reflect and you listen to the same meditative music. And I felt like in a sense, the idea of a God was speaking to me again or opening me up to something, to the curiosity of that. So for me, I think spirituality is a lot about connection. And so I think when we're connecting inwardly, like that is connection with something higher than us. And I even think like, I mean, I know you and I feel like we have a lot of spiritual connection in our conversations together or a lot with my kids or sometimes even my dog, like just, just connection, nature, being outside, like there are things that feed my soul. So that's a big part of how I kind of walk through it now, um, which we can definitely, well, I'll definitely touch more on it in a little bit, but um, do you want to talk a little bit about like kind of what we were describing as the definition of the broadness of spirituality as we were talking through this? Yeah. I mean, you kind of 
you kind of hit it. You know, it's about connection. And I think like three, th there's three areas that we, we kind of wanted to focus on for our purposes today. So connection to self, connection to something bigger than you. And again, that can be God or that can be a nature hike and, you know, trees that stand way taller than you. That can be like the idea of, you know, um, like your, your evolved self, right? Like it can be, it can be anything that resonates with you, but just something that's bigger than you it can be the cosmos. So mm -hmm. that, and then connection to other people. Um, mm -hmm. and I would actually probably add connection to like a sense of purpose, which mm -hmm. we can talk about a little bit more. For sure. But, yeah. But connect, but you, um, you know, you talked about your clients and I kind of left that part out of my story is that like, it's that connection with people who are, are hurting, who are going through difficult things that I think opened my eyes to just like, just the humanness in all of us, mm -hmm. you know, because I think a lot yeah. of times in church culture, there's this, this charade that's put up or this, this mask that's worn. And I certainly felt this growing up. Like I have to be kind of perfect. I have to have it all together. I have to present a certain way and to just see yeah. that that's just really not the human experience at all <laughs> forced yeah. me to open and, up my mind. Yeah. And the power of connection in those moments, right? So when yes. a client expresses something expecting you to be like, Oh, and you're and like, you it must've been so hard for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're that seen. facilitates that yeah. connection. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so absolutely. we're looking at spirituality and we're defining it by, by that sense of connection. Um, and so we talked in our, other podcasts on the emotional side of a woman about a lot about connecting to like your own emotional state and connection to self, I think involves going internally, mm -hmm. you know, getting to know yourself. Like I hear so many clients say, come to counseling because they say I've lost myself and I don't know how to or get I don't back know who there. I am or I don't yep. know who I am. Yep. I don't know who I and am. I can relate to that. Yep. I went, I went through that for a long, long time. I don't know who I am. And when you don't know who you are, that does create an identity crisis, right? So like learning who you are, what do you like? What do you, when you strip away the influence of everybody else around you, how do you think, what, you know, what do you, how do you operate in the world? What's important to you? What, what are your, what's your emotional state? And just kind of really right. tuning into all those aspects of who you are, learning to listen to yourself, learning to, um, tap into that intuition that I think we're so wired with and often ignore, um, and owning those emotions, being true to yourself, standing up for your own convictions, setting good boundaries, all those things that are very self-loving. That's all about connection to yourself and honoring yourself yep. in those spaces. Yep. Yeah. So I think when we think about spirituality as a connection that's bigger than us. Um, I read this book years ago called Found. I, I had, um, I can't remember if I had one or two kids at that point, but I had a newborn and that's when I was experiencing a lot of that guilt of not doing enough. And um, the author was talking about the same, uh, the same kind of concept of feeling guilty that she wasn't doing enough and her spirituality and all stuff. And she kind of went into this, um, what she called holy moments which was a huge shift for me. So when I'm rocking my baby in the middle of the night, instead of being frustrated and agitated, you know, and then, and then frustrated that I'm too tired to do other things. Like this is the holy moment. Like this is connection. And then I remember like which this is, book is so, which is very, sorry, this no. is very mindful. That is yeah. mindful. That is being present. Yeah. That's what it is. 
Yep. Yep. And it's so hard. We, we don't, we aren't present people. Like we're always busy and distracted. Right. I was even, my meditation right. this morning was about being present and noticing all the things. And so trying to focus on like my kids are home today. So being present with the things that they're experiencing today um, and putting my agenda aside so I can be, cause there's always a million things to do. But so, and then, you know, years ago I read the book, the shack, right. <laughs> years ago. And that book was, um, I mean, that book got a lot of flack for, presenting the Holy Spirit and something other than how we grew up right with the Trinity. And so in that book, this man had tragically lost his child to murder, just kidnapped and murdered. And the Holy Spirit met him as this um, big black woman making him pancakes. Right. And so that was the first time that I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe like God could meet me differently than I was told. Or maybe he, maybe he or she shifts, however, to be what we need. So um, I think recognizing that I didn't have to fit in a box to be connected or accepted, which has been quite a process for me. There's a lot of fear of disapproval or um, people judging me or being upset with me. Um, But I think now I find connection mostly through relationships, nature and music. And I, I think I would describe it as a movement within me and a sense of connection of belonging and love, right? And so this expands in me and then outside of me. I still very much have a faith and a belief. That it's just kind of what you're saying, Karis, is a little bit different for me. And I think I'm still figuring those parts out. I think there's been a lot of healing in my faith journey in the last probably year even where I've had some things kind of shift for me and, and kind of change some more. So um, I think part of it is re-exploring areas that you kind of knew as truth before and figure out how that works now, which I think is so natural. Like, I think it would be kind of, when you think of even developmental stages, it would be so strange if I never questioned um, ever in my life, yeah. you know? That's so, like becoming an adult. It is, yeah, yeah. And that same, like, what do I want my children to know? Like, what do I want to teach my kids? So I think when you take the shame narrative out, it gives a lot of permission to just be. So, yeah. So so what were you going to yeah, say? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to a little bit more about spiritual connection around you. Yeah, to, to others and to the world around us. Um, I know so many people that say, like, essentially describe, I don't know if they always use this terminology, but describe being in nature as a spiritual experience yeah. mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. a, an experience of connectedness. And so, like, I've come to really honor that within myself because that is a place that I feel very connected. I love, mm-hmm. I love like, observing wildlife you know, mm-hmm. that have a whole biology of their own that, you know, coexist in this world with us. I think, I think everything is, a, everything is a miracle, how it all works, just mm-hmm. how, you know, how the seasons happen, yeah. how, you know, yeah. every, and, and it's all connected. That's yep. the thing. It's yep. all connected. Yeah. And what yep. I do in this world is connected to the greater world. So like if I'm taking care of my little corner of the earth, that's, that's a connection, right? Because then the earth also takes care of me. And so, um, I just love being able to go in nature and see its beauty. And that can be anything. I love, love, love hiking and walking this mm-hmm. winter. I realized like a week ago, I haven't been walking cause it's been winter and I'm like, screw this. It's I'm going to walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I miss it so much. So I've been taking winter walks with my mm-hmm. dog and I'm mm-hmm. loving it and I get all hot and sweaty. I'm not cold. Like I thought it would be cause I bundle to the to the nth degree mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love so now I love I love the quietness of winter and I mm-hmm. love the crispness of fall and the heat mm-hmm. of summer and I love sitting out you know we, we're we're fortunate to be very near like Lake Michigan so sitting out there which feels like you're at the mm-hmm. ocean it right does. the third oh, coast so good. Um, mm-hmm. um 
I just love sitting out there or going to the ocean. I love going mm-hmm. to the ocean and sitting and just the crash of the waves. All of that just feels mm-hmm. so very connected for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Um, to the world around me. Like I'm just one piece of this greater just miraculous puzzle and then connectedness to other people. So we sort Mm -hmm. of talked about like our experience with clients Mm -hmm. and how, you know, that's a point of connection, how even just sitting in a, in a counseling space with somebody is a spiritual experience so often. Um, And that puts me on a high. Like when I have those kinds of sessions where that connectedness is a part Mm -hmm. of it, I I just come out of them so invigorated. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why, I mean, that's a big part of why I love what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's always been true for me. Like I can remember in high school, I I just was so fortunate to have such great friendships and Mm -hmm. we would get into like really deep discussions. I've always loved Mm -hmm. like the deep philosophical big questions and, you know, kind of analytical sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And to the point where we'd be like, let's have it. I can remember my best friend and I always being like, let's have a deep discussion because we just love it (laughs) because we felt, we couldn't put words to it then or language to it, but we felt that sense of connection in that Mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a spiritual experience, Mm -hmm. having those deep conversations or even you mentioned your kids. I, you know, there've been multiple times where I just have like a fantastic conversation Mm -hmm. with one of my kids asking about big questions or talking about our responsibility in the world or whatever that I just feel such connection to them Mm -hmm. and to something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think, yeah, I think interacting with, Everything that we are a part of, you know, the, the people in our lives, the people in our circle of influence and the world around us mm-hmm. can absolutely be a spiritual experience. And so mm-hmm. knowing like for you, what does that look like? Maybe right. you hate nature. Maybe that's not a yeah, maybe it doesn't experience work. Yeah. for you. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Maybe you're not somebody who loves to um, have a conversation on a deeper level, but that's why we want to explore different ways. Um but everybody I think is wired for connectedness to others because we're just social mm-hmm. creatures. Like that's, mm-hmm. we, we need that. So finding mm-hmm. out how that works for you. Right. I think is key. Yeah. So I think, um, we want to challenge you to explore your own spirituality. Um, we've talked a lot about, I mean, not just today, but in all of our podcasts so far about the power of meditation. And today I mentioned contemplation. So, um, I think mindfulness or going inward is a great way to engage in a spiritual practice. So the way that looks is kind of, we talked about the emotional part last time, or was it last time, time before? One of the times before. But some of the things we've discussed prior is what is your body communicating to you and what do you need? Um, Because these are sources of connection to self. So even for me, if I'm feeling irritable, I mean, it could be I'm hormonal, I don't know, but I'm just feeling irritable and kind of crotchety. Like just noticing that and trying to connect in a way that brings me to a better peaceful place. Like if it's breathing, place, yeah. yeah. Or like, I mean, when you go back to that window of tolerance, if I'm feeling irritable, I'm dysregulated, right? So coming back to a place that feels regulated and grounded and calm. Um, one of the things too, just real, so just real quick. Yeah. I was sorry, just real quick. No, we, yeah. we, we've talked about this in our other podcasts, but we didn't define window of tolerance today. So just, do you want to reveal that super quickly? Like what that means and how it looks to return to your window, window of tolerance? Yeah. Out so, of it? Um, the window of tolerance is the kind of the Goldilocks phase where everything feels just right, right? Everything is regulated, you're calm, you're breathing well. I mean, I think most people are pretty familiar with the fight, flight, or freeze. So whenever we're not in this window, we're, we're reacting in some way. So, And it doesn't have to be something major, like someone can cut you off in traffic or... Um, I mean, like there's times my dog will be going nuts and I'm like, oh, like just what's happening, you know? Or I'll burn my finger on the stove, like little things that bring you out of it. Um, 
you have to be able to kind of regulate and bring yourself back down. So that can be like through deep breathing or just even just noticing, right? I think there's a lot of power just noticing like I don't feel centered or grounded, which I think that is a spiritual right. practice. Even if you don't know why. Yeah. And I don't yes. always know why. Like I don't always know why. It could be yeah. that I didn't sleep well the night before. It could be that like something's bugging me and I'm not sure what. I mean, it could be anything, right? Um, but in internal family systems, which is a modality of treatment, we talk a lot about parts work and parts are all the different parts that make us a human, right? So we all have different ages of us that um, are in our body. So whatever whatever age you've experienced certain things, sometimes when I do EMDR with clients, we, we identify like some trauma work. We'll identify like a 10-year-old self or a six-year-old self or a 13-year-old self. And part of the goal is to heal those parts. So you're integrated and you're really, you're really feeling whole. And one of my favorite ways that um, internal family systems defines the self I share this with clients all the time because the goal is to come into self, right? So this very much relates to what we're talking about. I'm going to read it really quick. So our true self is mature and loving and has the capacity to heal and integrate our parts. We all have a core part of us that is our true self, our spiritual center. When our extreme parts are not activated in the way, this is who we are. The self is relaxed, open, and accepting of self and others. When you're in self, you're grounded, centered, and non-reactive. You don't get triggered by what people do. You remain calm and unruffled, even in difficult circumstances. The self is so much larger and spacious than our parts and is not frightened by events that would scare them. The self has the strength and clarity to function well in the world and connect with other people. When you're in self, you come from a depth of compassion, enabling you to be loving and caring towards yourself and others and all of your parts. The self is like the sun, it just shines. The self is connected to the deeper ground of being that, a being that spiritual teachers speak of, some call it God. It has access to a higher wisdom and understanding that can guide you in dealing with the larger questions of life. It is an inexhaustible fountain of love. Most of us have had glimpses of the self, experiences that give us an idea of what is possible. However, our extreme parts are frequently so prevalent they can obscure it. When a part is strongly triggered, it tends to take over and push out the self. The self is the agent of psychological healing. It is by nature compassionate and curious about our parts. The self wants to connect with each part and get to know it so it can heal. I just think that's so beautiful because it just talks about like really honoring all the different things that make you and coming into that space where you can breathe and center and regulate. So I, I mean, I probably talk about coming into self 50 times a day with clients of like how you, you really were in a space where you felt dysregulated or emotional, you're grieving or, you know, we may have done EMDR last week and we opened a node. And so this week was really emotional for you. So how can we honor that part and what do you need to nurture and care for yourself? I think all of that is spiritual practice. And I think it's, I think it's kind of sometimes the purpose, right? To, to, to come into that space for yourself and other people. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, yeah, I, what I hear in that, that, that sense of higher self, mm-hmm. that could be God. Mm-hmm. That could be just your source of love, you mm-hmm. know, your source of creativity, but that integration, I think is what we all work mm-hmm. towards. And I think that's a little bit of what we're talking about with these four parts, the physical, yeah. spiritual, emotional, and relational. Yeah. When we yep. have those all kind of in check, we are integrating right. ourselves into, right. those, the, into those aspects of our lives. And then it does so flow out of you, is, right? Then it does. Like then you yes. do have that. Then, then if you're in self, that affects how you respond to everybody else around you too. And nobody's in self all the time. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. But, but like if the goal is always to come back to this part, that's really like opening and freeing. It is. Yeah. And it gives you compassion towards other people too. And yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in, in, in their experiences and yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So spirituality is just something that we cannot, we cannot leave out of the equation when Mm -hmm. it comes to, um, 
and to balancing who we are as women. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like you don't have to be a person of faith to be a spiritual person. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you just have to be able to connect. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. connect to yourself, connect to something bigger and connect to the world and to people around you. So figuring out what that looks like for you individually is a great place to start. How do you feel connected? Ask yourself that question. How do you feel connected? Looking back, what were those moments where you felt, you felt, I mean, I, as I speak of it, I can, I can, recall that mm-hmm. feeling right that that of having like a spiritual experience a connected mm-hmm. experience what is that for you spirituality is what allows us to fully accept ourselves and connect with others in the world around us even even something bigger mm-hmm. so just figuring out what that looks like for you Thanks for joining the Therapy Sisters today for our episode. We're so glad you're here. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And if you want more, please feel free to connect with us on Facebook at the Therapy Sisters Podcast, on Instagram at the underscore therapy underscore sisters, or feel free to shoot us an email at thetherapysisters at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review. We look forward to connecting again next Tuesday. Over and out. Thank you.